<laughs> it's not funny. She's turning into the wolf man. Sorry, Brett. It's the full moon part. In the movies, the guy only turns into a werewolf during the full moon. Well, that's the way it works. When there's a full moon, he turns into the werewolf. Everybody knows that. But why only the full moon? Why not any moon? Well, because that's the way a werewolf works. You have to shoot him with a silver bullet. I bet if you blew his head off with a shotgun, it would do quite nicely. Don't you know anything about werewolves? I know you turn into one if you get bit by one. But the full moon part? Maybe there's different kinds of werewolves, but it's been my experience that anyone will do the trick. Werewolf-wise. Have you ever met a werewolf? I've been acquainted with a few in my time. How about you? Come on. Everybody knows there's no such thing as werewolves. Well, there you go. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You're right, Mr. Fox. People really should learn to keep their hands to themselves. Here's yours. It's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry. Cold. And hunted. Killer clowns out of space. Holy shit. The doctor is in. I'm gonna get you, fuckers! I love you, Keith. All I can see right now is food. Sometimes, that is better. With the Howl at the Moon, we welcome everybody back to Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod, our month-long horror extravaganza right here on the Film Effect Podcast, giving you the deepest of dives on a different film each episode in an effort that we like to call the Full Film Effect Treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Bad Moon. A house on the edge of the woods. Out here it's safe and peaceful. A family alone. Mom? Yes, sweetheart? Can you leave the door open a crack? A favorite uncle who needed their help. Things haven't been going so good for me since I got back, sis. You could come stay with us. But when they invited him in... I think I better keep my eye on you. They let in something they could never imagine. Or ever escape. Bad Moon, a mother and son are threatened by the mother's brother, who struggles 
to overcome the curse of the werewolf. So this is a little little ditty that a lot of people didn't see coming, I guess. Uh, for us to cover, uh, at least. Uh, but no, I've always been a big supporter of this movie. This has been a little underrated gem. Let's just call it that, if you will. That, uh, I, you know, I'm actually excited to be talking about. I'm glad we're covering this movie, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. So, what are your, was this your first time watching Bad Moon? Yeah, I had never heard of this movie before. Uh, you know, okay. completely, yeah, completely flew under my radar. I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's not like a big movie. I'm not saying it's like really obscure, but, you know, it's just one of those you certain movies just slip by you. I mean, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it with it being from the mid 90s and aware of, you know, creature feature. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, I've never seen it before, but, you know, we'll get into my feelings on it. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised overall. Yeah, man. This is, like I said, just one that I've always thought held up. There was a big period when I didn't, you know, I went without seeing the film. But when I got back to it, it felt like home. So, like I said, looking forward to talking about it with you today. So let's get into it and talk about our first times. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time so technically that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so if i'm not so i was uh i saw this it was a video rental i was actually at a sleepover with the scalrons and uh matt and chris shout out and uh yeah we picked this up from a mom pa video store around the corner one night on a friday night uh i think it was this and either Pumpkinhead 2 or a movie called jacko um, one of those two, we rented this, we rented the two movies and this was the other one, of course. And yeah, that's where my admiration and love for this movie started. <laughs> the other movies probably boosted your admiration because neither of those movies are fucking good. <laughs> yeah, they're not. I mean, I don't, I don't remember too much about Jacko, but Pumpkinhead 2, the less said, the better. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we just mentioned it before. It's, this is my first time. So you let me, your that's right. uh, yeah, you lent me your Screen Factory Blu-ray, so I watched that, uh, and right. it looks great. Like, the Blu-ray looks awesome. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I was a little disappointed, though, because it doesn't look like it's one of their special edition or collector's edition versions. No. It looks like it's more of a plain Jane version, so I was a little disappointed in that, Screen Factory, but uh, other than that, good overall. You know, it's funny that I'm surprised that it didn't get that treatment as well, of course, the only real thing we're missing out on is the slipcover. But um, it's got a lot of cool features. It's got the retro doc on there. It's got the director's cut that had never been released before prior to Screen Factory finding the reel and putting it on there. So, and you were actually gifted that for this viewing. Well, I watched it on Peacock and it was the R-rated version. But I had seen this film so many times that I knew what wasn't there. So... Anyway, um, yeah, story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story, a story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. 
So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So the film is based on a book called Thor by Wayne Smith, which is actually basically what you saw. There's some differences. I'll get I'll get into them a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it's told from the dog's POV, and this is the film adaptation. And they completely changed it around. They kept Thor, but there's some other changes. Like I said, we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, just wanted to put that out there. Not not a long story. Not really much of a story, but just well, I just, so you know, I just want to. No, I I think it's cool that you said that because I can totally see this movie because I see Thor as the main character of the film. I don't know Thank if everybody you. would see it that way. Thank you. But, but uh, Thor is definitely the main character of the film, so it makes a whole lot more sense that the book was a first-person view of the dog. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of the reason I like this movie as much as I do because I'm an avid dog lover. I, you know, I currently have a dog. Like, you know, it's just... I've, I can't imagine my life without dogs. So watching this film, like the fact that the fucking dog is the main character, I was like, fuck yeah, I love this shit. Oh yeah. Thank you. I've been saying that for years that the fucking main character is Thor. All right. Before we talk about the film itself, let's do live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I feel kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the right. I'm a big fan of makeup effects, and I'm a big fan of the person who did the makeup effects in this movie. Steve Johnson. So let's do our top five films featuring makeup effects from Steve Johnson. Uh, honorable mention, Ghostbusters, the original. He did the uh, creation of Slimer. Little known fact, the more you know. But no, uh, other than that, that was pretty much all he did for that movie, um, I believe. So just enough to warrant a mention. But number five, Species. Now, I'm not speaking on two, three, or four. I'm talking on... <laughs> Talking about the first one, um, which I actually just watched a couple weeks back. Well, I, I bought the 4K Screen Factory disc, and I, I popped it in to give it a watch. And uh, yeah, surprisingly, it holds up, and it looks great. Not their best of 4Ks, but it's still a lot better than what the Blu-ray looked like. And uh, yeah, so that's my number five species. little experiment going wrong with... Uh, some really great H.R. Geiger uh, inspiration um, throughout. So, Yeah, uh, Species, I know that's probably one of his most known films. Like, that's what comes to my mind uh, when I think of him. But I didn't put it on my list just because it's been so long since I've seen that film. I can't really form an opinion on it. I mean, I've definitely seen it. And, you know, like I said before, Steve Johnson, that's definitely the first thing that would pop into my head. But uh, it's just been so long, I can't really put it on there. I know the sequels kind of suck. I remember watching some of the sequels and just being like, oh, dear God. But the first one didn't leave much of an impression on me. So, uh, you know, I can't really uh, comment on that. So that's not on my list. They uh, but filmed no- part two down around here in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, but my number five, uh, I didn't even know he worked on this film until I was looking over his filmography uh you know for the episode uh and that's freaked um 
I know <laughs> that's mainly a Screaming Man George production. Like, I know he did right. a lot of the creatures and stuff like that. But hey, I mean, he was on the makeup crew there and the effects. So I'm going to throw it on there just because I love that movie Freak. Like, I just wanted to talk about it. Just like <laughs> yeah. direct directed by uh, Alex, Alex Winter. Winter. Yep. And just such a fucking insane batshit movie. Like, it is so 90s. It has so much special effects. And it is so stupid but hilarious. If you haven't seen that movie, it is well worth your time. I think especially if you're our age. Just an excellent movie. I I have, like, the Anchor Bay DVD. Uh, and that's just one I pop in constantly. I, I just, I love that movie. Every time I watch it more, I think it was ahead of its time with the humor. Uh, for sure. I, I I think if it was released later, it would have been more appreciated. Just a star study cast. I love Randy Quaid in that. Like Randy the whole Quaid, se- yes. Just the whole scene, like, how many milkmen does it take to deliver the milk? Because <laughs> they all fucking dress up like milkmen trying to escape. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's right. I remember that That's now. I want just- <laughs> It's just hilarious. Like, so the premise real quick is it's a freak show on the side of the road. And Randy Quaid is the evil guy. And he uses this ooze created from a big company to turn people into freaks for his freak show. And the freaks are trying to escape. They all fucking dress up as milkmen. (laughs) One milkman can be normal. Two milkmen can be a coincidence. Three milkmen is ridiculous. Like, it's just fucking so stupid. (laughs) Keanu Reeves plays a fucking wolf boy. I thought it was a dog boy, but yeah, wolf boy. It's right. Oh God, that's great. <laughs> it could be dog boy. I, I could be misquoting, but it's just like it. It is so fucking hilarious. Like Mr. T's in it the, as the bearded woman. Like <laughs> it, it. It is just a great movie. Like if you're our age, I think you absolutely have to check it out. If you like silly humor like that, so freaked. I don't know uh, exactly how much he did on the makeup, but he's listed as a crew. So I, that's why I put it at number five. So freaked number five. Very good. Number four for me, What a Coinkening, Pet Cemetery 2. We just talked about the first one the other day, and now uh, here we are bringing the second one into the picture because I dig the makeup effects just like the first one. Steve Johnson did the makeups work, did the makeup work on the second film, and yeah, Pet Cemetery 2, number four. My number four is Blade 2. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like he had a lot to do with the makeup. Uh, I forget the creature, what they're called, because obviously Blade is vampires, but then what are they called? Like Reavers or Reapers? I, Reapers. I forget what the, yeah, I they forget. Have the, I, they had the vagina mouths. Yeah, the vagina mouth. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the makeup, uh, and I like that movie. I think Blade 2 is a fun sequel, fun action movie by Guillermo del Toro. And uh, I like the makeup in it. I think it's well done. So yeah, Blade makes Blade 2 makes my number four. Number three, Big Trouble in Little China. Because I fucking love Big Trouble in Little China. We covered it. Last, no, did we cover that? No, I covered it on Mad Dad. That's right. We have not covered that yet on Film Effect. No. But uh, yeah, I if, if you dust off that old podcast that I did with my daughter and I talk about that in a past episode from a couple years ago. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that movie. I think it fucking holds up so well. It's a fun movie. It's it, And I do remember saying this, because I always say this, the film plays out like a video game and that's like one of my favorite things about it. So, But overall, the, 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 the makeup effects are awesome. I think Carpenter has an eye for you know, whatever he's going for. In this case, it, it clearly is like the Chinatown influence 
And uh, it just works when it's all thrown together in the end. So. Yeah. Now, I, yeah, that's one uh, I I would love to cover at some point. I know you did it on Mad Dad, but yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, we got we'll cover it next year for sure. So my number three is Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. Uh, you know, obviously the Freddy makeup, one of the most iconic makeups. Is it the best incarnation of Freddy? Eh, no, nah, not in my opinion. But it's the most popular makeup work that he's done. Whenever you see popular, whenever you see Freddy Krueger in pop culture or, or pictures or on T-shirts or whatever you, whatever it may be, it's typically the makeup work from Part Four because that was the MTV generation of Freddy Krueger. Right. No, I totally agree. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring it up. Also, I know we had a big hand in the death sequence in that film, which I like yes. the death sequence in Freddy Part 4. It was good. So yeah, Freddy 4 makes my number three. The story of the Freddy souls and how they captured that is like kind of a funny story because like they made like a 30 foot tall chest of Freddy and they actually had like, actual people inside of it, like pressing themselves against it. One of those was a uh, a naked Linnea Quigley, and she was that's that's why you see like a random woman with like her breasts like smashed up against his chest of souls because they just had Linnea Quigley. She was dating Steve John or she was married to Steve Johnson. Sorry, at they the time they were married. Yeah, yeah, yeah and so married. she that- you know is that plays that role. Um, it, yeah, and then it falls all of a sudden while they're pressing on it. It's actually it's, I think it's on the Elm Street uh, documentary. Uh, never sleep again but uh they're all pushing so hard one shot that the whole thing just gave out and they all came fucking falling down and shit like you see all these people that were inside and people that are outside holding it up just come crashing down and shit i mean no one really got hurt or or, or died so i could look back on it and just kind of have a laugh because everyone was fine but yeah it's crazy yeah so. that is crazy and at that, just a side uh note that's how i actually knew about Steve Johnson for a long time was he was oh, married really? to Linnea Quigley. Yeah, that, right. that, that's kind of why I knew about him more so than anything. And obviously the nerd part of us loves all the special effects stuff, so. Yeah, he looks like a Vince Russo. He looks just like Vince Russo, if, if you all know who that is. Uh, any wrestling fans probably do. Or hopefully, if you're a wrestling fan, you know who Vince Russo is. Yeah, bro. Um, bro. Bro, he looks just <laughs> like Vince, bro. Vince Russo, bro. I got, bro, let me tell you. Yeah, he looks like that fucking guy. All right, number two. Well, this movie, Bad Moon. Hold on. We'll, we'll talk I, about I, it. I go. Huh? Did I go yet? I thought you, number three was Elm Street 4, right? Okay, yeah, my bad, my bad. Sorry. That's okay. Started through, y'all. No, you're good. I just went. You're number two now? yeah sorry well we'll get into bad moon but yeah uh my number two has to be video drone um love video drone cronenberg classic i know he did a lot of the makeup on that and you know when i think about that movie i think about the effects and the makeup for sure i mean who doesn't Mm -hmm. remember like all the weird body shit with james woods in that movie i fucking love that movie i have the criterion blu-ray uh it's one i gotta rewatch. i haven't seen that in a little while but yeah video drone yeah, I know Criterion's doing the 4K of that in December, I believe it is, so I'll wait to pick it up then. Um, and if not, Arrow just announced it coming out in November uh, in the UK on 4K, but if y'all know, 4K is region free, so I'll just pick that up like I did for my True, true Romance Arrow. Anyway, 
Let's we're back on track here. Number one, Fright Night, the original Fright Night, the OG 1985 from Tom Holland Fright Night, which I would fucking love to talk about on this show at some point. Uh, I know last year or uh, the year before, I did a retro uh, little. Um, I don't even know what the hell you want to call it. It was like a project or something. It was a episode of Mad Dad. It was like a one-off I did by myself. Well, I did it with a co-host, um, Elise from Crazy Train Radio helped me out. And it was it was called... Um, shit. It was... It, 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 to, to wrap it all up, it was basically... I talked about all the big vampire films from the 80s. Because that was a big generate. That was a big decade of of uh, vampire culture. I I covered this near dark, Lost Boys, um, uh, the the one with um the hunger, and something else. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, uh, and Vamp was the other one. So like, I kind of like did a condensed review of it in that um piece. So anyway, near uh, uh Fright Night um. I'm looking forward to revisiting it in a couple weeks because I know Sony's got the four disc steelbook coming out that I have pre-ordered. Um, actually, that comes out next Tuesday, the sixth of October. So, or actually, by the That's time sweet. this episode drops, it would have already been out. So, yeah. What's your number one core? So first, I want to throw an honorable mention because I didn't realize I must have completely fucking forgot that he worked on Fright Night, but honorable mention Fright Night because I fucking love that movie. Uh, I totally must have just missed that when I was scrolling through. Uh, but yeah, I love Fright Night, so I, I would have <laughs> to throw that shit on there. And also, uh, I just realized it now just scrolling through. He did some animatronic work on Spider-Man 2. So I'm assuming yes. that's the Doc Ock arms. He did Doc Ock. He did Doc Ock's arms in that film. That's all he did. Yeah. So uh, I'll throw that out on mention just because I love Doc Ock. I love the arms in the spots. I love the whole horror scene in the operation room. Like, I know a lot of that obviously is computer generated, but I wanted to give it a shout out because I fucking love uh, Doc Ock in that film. I think he's handled so well. So the fact that uh, he was part of that, I, I wouldn't want to throw that is an honorable mention, but my number one is the film I most closely associate with uh, Mr. Johnson, and that's Night of the Demons. Uh, I know he did the sequel. I think, did he do the second one as well? I'm pretty sure he did the second one, too, Night of the Demons. Yes, he did the second one. I do not think he came back for the third, though. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did the first two, and, you know, I like Night of the Demons. I own the Screen Factory Blu-ray. It's an enjoyable horror movie. Not one of my favorites, but Still really good. I like it. But that's what I think of when I think of him. I, I think that was kind of his show. Obviously, his wife uh, was the main character in the film. So, yeah, it's just I, that's what I closely associate with him. So that had to be my number one Night of the Demons. Great, great makeup, great effects work in that film. Yeah, he did the second one as well, but not the third. So I don't even All, think I've seen the third. I think I've I just haven't. seen the first two. I've just seen one and two myself. Never seen part three. All right, well, should we talk about the film? Let's get in it. Here we go! All right, so, like I said, the source novel Thor by Wayne Smith was sent to Eric Red before publication by the William Morris Agency. 
he found it to be quote unquote the most original idea he'd ever heard for a werewolf film. Uh, the film actually, like I said before, has much has a lot of changes from the book, particularly in the makeup of the family. In the book, it's two parents and three kids, as well as a dog, who sees the family as his pack, which must be defended at all costs. The dog's perceptions of events are treated in great detail, as is the relationship between him and his human family, as his confusion as to whether the werewolf is a threat to his family or that must be eliminated, or a pack member who must be respected. These, um, these, these subtleties mainly didn't make it into the film. I kind of wish they would have. I, I kind of wish... I mean, come on, guys. You got 75 minutes here. You can add another 15 minutes to give us some, like, emotion from Thor. Um, and with, without trying to just talk out of... <laughs> Some what? emotion what? from Thor. I just fucking love the fact that you said that emotion from a fucking dog, but I love it because it's I'm true. serious. Like exactly, you know what I'm getting at. It does sound goofy and ridiculous, but it's the truth. I mean, it's a fucking movie. It's a werewolf <laughs> film where the dog's the main star. I mean, I just want Academy Awards. You I see want Anthony some range, Hopkins. Okay? You see Daniel Day Lewis. You see fucking Primo Thor the dog. Up there. Primo the dog <laughs> up there as the fifth nomination. Dude, I want some range. Can't, God damn it. Is that too much to ask for? Is some fucking range from the dog? Huh? No? Okay. So, um, oh, and the last bit I have here is Dino De Laurentiis. We just talked about him recently. Was initially attached to produce. Probably would have helped with the budget. But, uh, no. We get the Warner Brothers and Morgan Creek logos. And then we open on an obvious film set that's supposed to resemble Nepal. <laughs> the, we're, we're introduced to photojournalist Ted Harrison and his girlfriend Marjorie at the expedition for a brief moment they, and then they go inside the tent with the quickness and start going the to town like it's a goddamn vivid production uh, Eric Red felt the movie should open with a bang you say that again Literally. explaining why the opening scene is quote unquote heavy in sex and gore um, yeah at first I I'm have like what the on fuck one. No, I'm just gonna say I'm like, what the fuck is Ed making me watch? Like that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Like, I was like, is this a fucking Skinamax film? Like that's exactly what it looks like. Like I, know. I was waiting for I, know. I was waiting for the Nepalese guys to fucking come in and start yeah. running a train. Like I mean, I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, meanwhile, we got a fucking werewolf appearing, and he begins picking off the locals who are also at the world expedition. So, we got these two in the tent going at it, middle of sex, then all of a sudden this fucking werewolf just relentlessly tears through the tent, <laughs> grabs Marjorie, and fucking manhandles the shit out of her. Like, rips her ass out of that God tent. God <laughs> damn. He destroys this woman's face, fucking claws her body. Like, I'm surprised he didn't tear her in half, to be honest with you. Uh, meanwhile, Ted tries to save her, but he gets his shoulder split open by the wolf before it, it finally kills her with a vicious death blow. 
Like, he just strikes her down. And then he looks over, like, huh? And Ted's got the gun fucking kicked back and blasts his <laughs> fucking head clean off. He's like, what? I mean, that's how you open up a movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, the one thing this scene does, even though it's, like, a little weird having the vivid sex scene and then a little silly the fact that they didn't hear anything inside a tent. Like, I mean, how the fuck do you not hear this wolf fucking attacking the camp? Uh, you heard the how they were going at it, man. Come on. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> no, nah, I know. But anyway, the thing that it does really well here at the beginning is a, you know, you get to see uh, a little bit of the werewolf, and b, it sets up just how fucking brutal and strong it is. I mean, in this fucking film, this thing fucking just destroys everything it touches. Like, if it fucking slashes at you, you're fucking losing limbs. Like, and I really like that about the werewolf in this movie. It feels fucking powerful every time it's on yeah, screen. Absolutely. Um, they had two different naked women stunt, the stunt women, sorry, who, uh, played Marjorie in the scene when one for when she gets like pulled out and the other one for, I'm assuming the manhandling and just the effects of this massacre are too sweet. Um, it's just sweet harkens back to the old prosthetic, you know, latex days practical fucking effects we're talking about here something that is like a very rare commodity these days for reasons i'll never understand but there it's it's all here in full on full display and i'm i'm like i always say i'm here for it every fucking bit of it yeah yeah i love the gore effects i love the animatronics i love the suit like it's all blended together yeah. You know, is is it exactly perfect? No, like, you know, you could tell the, the animatronic and the guy in the suit is blended together, but it still looks a million fucking times better than a shitty CGI werewolf. I mean, so much better. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Uh, then we cut to the opening credits set over the Pacific Northwest, a.k.a. Washington State Woods. We're introduced then to Mason Gamble's Brett. It's Dennis the Dennis. Menace, kids. <laughs> He's playing with his dog Thor. Then this fucking con artist just out of nowhere approaches, and we're, we're like five minutes into the movie, and we've had a hardcore sex scene. We have had a woman <laughs> and a bunch of locals get destroyed by a werewolf. We've had Dennis now the Menace, and now we have a con man just walking into the movie. Like, what do you? How do you he, do, he neighbor? He doesn't even have a car. He's just fucking walking in the neighborhood. I'm like, he, if I see that guy, I'm fucking running. I'm like, Dennis, fucking run. Run to Mr. He, Wilson. He just approaches like he's fucking Christopher Lloyd as the homeless man in that movie. Now, he comes <laughs> up and, um, like a salesperson, and he starts provoking Thor. He sees they got a dog. Well, he's known they've got a dog. That's why he's here. And he's just pulling off a con, basically. Up until Brett's mother, Janet, played by Mariel Hemingway, comes out, intervenes, calls him out on his bullshit after he fakes being bit, because after Thor attacks, uh, he's a lawyer. Well, she's a lawyer. And he's, like, fucking provoking this dog until he just has... He's like, I've had enough of your bullshit, and just jumps on him, and, like, we get this really cool shot where, like, he's, like, snarling right over his face, and, and like, you know, in a moment yeah. here. And, yeah, he mentions sewing, and she's like, oh, well, good. Get yourself a good lawyer. And she's like, I'm a lawyer. Oh, oh. Hey, Thor! Hey, get off him, Thor! Get him off me! Oh. 
Hey, go to the house. Go to the house. Go on. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, you okay? Oh, he bit me. Oh, jeez. Oh, Where did he bite you? You have got a dangerous animal there, lady. Oh, I'm suing. You better get a hold of a lawyer right away, lady, because you're going to hear from mine too, sweet. You can talk to me. I'm a lawyer. <coughs> Thor, sit and stay down. <laughs> Did he bite you? Because if he bit you, you really need to see a doctor right away. Since you're on foot, I'll drive you to the hospital emergency room myself. In fact, why don't I take you to my own family doctor? No, 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 no. I got my own doctor. All right. I've heard about enough Flopsy. Who's Flopsy, Mom? A Flopsy bread is a con man who does things like throw himself in front of cars and pretend to get hit, or intentionally provoke people's dogs and pretend to get bitten. He threatens to sue people or have their pets destroyed. So after praising both Paré and the dog performers, because Michael Paré plays Ted, forgot to mention that. We'll bring him up in a minute. And the dog performers, Eric Red turns his attention to Hemingway. Now this is all in the director's cut or the director's commentary on the uh, Blu-ray at Land Show. He says that she looked the part, but ultimately I was ambivalent about her performance. Straight up, I found Mariel to be a limited actress. He says she couldn't handle scenes requiring terror, stress, or emotion, but that she's beautiful and athletic and moves well and looks good in the movie. He goes on to say that he was that she was intimidated by Paré because he was there to give a good like a great performance and she was there for a paycheck. Now Yeah, I can that definitely the question, see that. Where are you at on Mario Hemingway in this movie? Uh, where are you at on her she, as a whole and then this movie? Uh I mean in the movie she's definitely got the T V soap opera vibe i'm not saying it's bad i actually think she's likable enough in the movie and i don't think it detracts i think if this movie was trying to be something more then it might have been an issue but this movie's a dead simple straight uh creature feature werewolf movie so i don't necessarily have a problem with the acting i'm not gonna say bad but just being of average quality i would say like i don't have a problem with that i don't have a problem with her i think she looks good i think as a lawyer, strong, single mom, I think it works really well. But yeah, her acting is definitely not <laughs> a highlight of the movie. Like you, Out of uh, her and Pare, it's definitely not even close as to who's bringing it as far as the drama and acting. Um, as for her, I mean, I remember her in Superman. I'm trying to think if I can think of anything Superman else. Superman 4. Yeah, Superman 4, I remember that. I'm trying to think, honestly, I'm trying to place her anywhere else. That's the only thing that really comes to my mind. Manhattan, uh, she won an, she, she had an Academy Award. Or, yeah, she was nominated for an Academy Award in Manhattan. Um, that was the Woody Allen film where she was like underage and he had a thing for, you know, it's Woody Allen. That's yeah, what you I, get with Woody Allen movies. Yeah, I honestly she's don't also, know if I've ever seen that. I've never seen it personally, but I know that's like one of her biggest roles as well as the film Lipstick. Um, she was also... She's in an episode of Tales from the Crypt with Anthony uh, with uh, Andrew McCarthy that 
will always stand out to me because like they're they they live like on separate floors of this like residential apartment complex and like he's got like the hots for her, but she's like you know once has no interest in him and whatnot and then he finds this like I forgot who who it is like there's some like witch doctor or something like that where like he wishes that she would just be infatuated with him and so like she just becomes obsessed with him to the point where like he just tries to kill her because she's just so insane but she accidentally like slips like the glass does the old school river like switch off with the glasses and he ends up taking the shit and he's in the afterlife and then all of a sudden she appears at the end and at the end of the episode with like this mangled up face makeup and she's like I love you so much, honey, that after you died, I couldn't handle myself, so I jumped out the window. Now we can be in the afterlife forever and ever. And he, like, screams out, and that's how the episode ends. So, yeah. <laughs> Mario Hemingway and Tales shit. from the Crypt, and that's 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 my story. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, just to, yeah, just to make it a quick summary, I think she's good in the film, for different aspects, like physically, uh, you know, her looks. I think she fits well on the part, but the acting, yeah, yeah, not the greatest. Yeah, this it, is like her last big theatrical movie, I want to say, honestly. She's kind of like went underneath those rocks after this, after the, uh, the millennium. But you also got to make acknowledge the fact that she is the uh, granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway. No bullshit. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. The more you know. Um, so yeah, then we get this uh, random Forest Rangers death scene, which I have to I have to say, so edited. Holy shit, they cut the fucking shit out of this for the R-rated version. You, my friend, were in for a real treat watching this death scene. Me on the oh, other yeah. hand, Great. I scene. fucking forgot how much they cut. Holy crap! When he bites down, because what happens is you this you got this forest ranger in the woods, and you know the whole trope where he hears something, and then this POV shots, you know, gaining up on him, so he runs, and then he thinks he outran whatever it is because we you don't know what's chasing him, even though we assume we know what it is. This like slime drips down to indicate he's right above him, and then like he just bites down on this dude's head with the helmet and just fucking squashes that motherfucker. Like, he takes a bite Hell out yeah. of fucking crime. And this version, the R-rated theatrical version, you see, like, a little speck. Like, he bites down and right, like, a millisecond after he makes impact with the head, it cuts. And I'm like, no! Because oh, wow. in the oh. director's cut, like, his head explodes, dude. It's fucking yes. juicy. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, he just fucking smashed it like a grape. Like, I, I was like, this is, like I said, just fucking brutal. Like, when this wolf attacks, he ain't just, like, fucking it. slashing you. Like, he ain't, he ain't slashing you and taking a little bite out of you. He's coming for the whole fucking thing. He's just like, ah, on his head, like, chowing down. It's awesome. Yeah, he ain't fucking around, dude. Like, seriously, Corey, if you get a chance, like, pull up Peacock at some point and check out the fucking death scene rated. Like, it's... You'll be shocked at how much they just fucking cut out. It's insane. So, Ted, from the beginning, is Janet's brother, and he calls her, uh, to come visit since he's home. 
and uh, her and her son Brett pack up and they take a day trip out to the water, out to the lake where his trailer is. Now, not a lot of people notice this, and I doubt you noticed it, Corey. Don't feel bad. Um, his trailer, it's an Airstream Silver trailer. What's that resemble? <laughs> Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet, exactly. Um, and then, you know, when they go into the house, you see Thor kind of like scurry around the area. And this is when we see like the film, even though, you know, I, I mentioned that the book is told in POV form, they kind of have it, they you know, they kind of like do that in the movie because you get them, you know, POV shots of Thor. And you know it's a POV shot because the film is like stretched out, you know. And uh, I, I, I just think that's pretty cool how they do that throughout the movie from here, you know, from time to time. Although I wish they would have done one of them POV shots when he was battling the werewolf. That would have been really cool. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. I was about to say that. Damn. Um, so, yeah, they, they head in. Uh, Thor snoops around outside. And it leaves Ted nervous when he sees the dog sniffing around. So, to, uh, Ted tells Janet that things haven't been so well for him since returning from his trip. And he's acting as if he's hiding something from his sister, something that clearly she calls him out on. And in the trailer, we see Mason kind of rumbling around by himself, and he finds Ted's lab tests and a book on werewolf folklore. So, like I said, Thor's outside in the woods, snooping around, and eventually finds the remains of the forest ranger. Now, in the book, like I said, POV... Eric Red stated that he used three German shepherds for the film. Primo, the the dog I mentioned before, he was used primarily throughout most of the film, all the close shots, and he did most of the work. There was an old female German shepherd named Decca who was used when he needed to do an over-the-shoulder shot or if the dog was lying down. She had been a movie dog for 10 years, apparently. And a Russian border German shepherd attack dog, and also a miniature shepherd, uh, the two of them both were employed in the final werewolf fight sequence. Um, in the trailer, Ted tries getting Thor to come to him. At first he's skeptical, but then he finally does. He refers to them as two old dogs together. So, I, li- I like these, like, I don't know what to call them. With these references to, to being like dogs and animals. You know, you get that throughout the movie, especially of Ted. Um, you know, just subtle references here and there throughout the film, like this one here. And then the fam, and then the the family leaves. He sends them off. Says the sun's setting. Janet wants him to come live closer to them. Wants him to come live right there, right then. He tells her that he's got some work to finish up with, but then he'll be there within the week. So she says deal, and leaves. And the next day, he calls her, holding back emotion. <laughs> Tells her that his family is all that he's family is all that he's got, and then the, the while he's talking to her, we see the camera pull back, and he's like, kind of like one of them looks like, I'm in big trouble, sis, and like it pulls back to reveal that the entire lake area where his trailer set up on the beach is a crime scene. Hello, sis. Hey, Ted, how you doing? Yeah, you know, uh, having you up here was was really great, sis. It really lifted my spirits a lot family sis you know 
It's everything. It's everything. I, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated, you know, you guys' trip up here and family. It's all we've got, sis. Is there a problem up there? Problem? Up here? No, no, no problem at all. Just, uh, having you up here, like I said, really lifted my spirits. I reckon maybe you're right. So I was thinking if it's not an imposition, maybe I can visit you for a few days. Oh, Ted, you know you're always welcome up here. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to park your airstream in the backyard, and you're going to live out of my garage. <laughs> Whoops. My only question here is, how is Ted not brought in for questioning? At least, you know? Yeah. He, wouldn't you think he'd be, like, the prime suspect right there? At least he wouldn't be leaving so simple, like, right then and there. Like, you would think his, you know, trailer being right there in, in the heart of everything, they wouldn't just let him go so easily, especially the whole trailer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They'd be like, uh... This is one of the things I thought about. Yeah, even if they didn't have evidence right then, they'd be like, uh, yeah, don't leave town. Like, <laughs> stick around. Leave your trailer parked at the local campground. You know, like, I, I, I don't think they would just let him roll. I mean, just imagine that, like, a crime scene. And even if he wasn't a suspect, he's like, all right, and bye. The fact, right, and the fact that he just, like, is so hesitant on leaving just makes him look suspicious. Also, just look at the guy. I mean, come on. <laughs> he looks fucking suspicious. We're not, not hesitant on leaving. Not, uh, bad wording, I meant to say. Like, he's so, like, gung-ho on leaving. Yeah. Um, just the better, better terminology. So, um, Ted moves the trailer with, uh, to, to his sister's house, parks in the back up on that little hill thing, and she visits, she visits, she goes out back to see him before dinner and finds his maximum strength handcuffs that he's got after Thor snips out, snoops him out of the bag, and, uh, that night, he, you know, he blows it off. That night, Thor observes Ted heading out. And begins barking until Janet lets him out. So Michael, pa Michael Paré, both Michael Bain, Robert Patrick lobbied for the role, but Eric Red chose Paré because uh, the power he has as an actor. Apparently, the uh, dog trainer shared that Paré's comfort performing with a canine co-star reminded him of Jim Belushi on the film Canine. Along with Roy Scheider and Fomke Jensen, Michael Paré is the best experience I've had with a star as a director, he said. So, I don't know where you are with Michael Paré. Um, I've mentioned this film before on the show, and I swear we're going to cover it sooner than later. Streets of Fire, and that's Michael Paré's like, big role, that, and Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. It came out around the same time, around the year I was born, 84. Uh, have you ever seen either of those two movies? No, More I, you, my Streets of Streets of Fires, the one I primarily want to know if you've seen or not. No, I haven't. And it's interesting. I almost picked it up at uh, I was at Soundgarden the other day, and they had like a ah, the Blu-ray of it, and I almost picked that's it. That's what up. I got. Yep. It was a little pricey though, so I didn't do it. But I've been wanting to see that for Defoe as well because I know uh, Willem Defoe's in that. He is. He is. He's the villain, but. 
he's that's like kind of early Defoe, so it's not like that over the top Defoe that you're you know you're used to seeing today. You know, he's still like that young. He's got that young look, but it's still Defoe. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, it, it's still it is pricey. I because I, I bought it. I think it was twenty four ninety nine when I bought it from there. Because me and Justin were there a couple months ago, and I and I was there, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm getting this movie. It's a blind buy. I loved it. And then I saw they got it back in and then they bumped the price up a few dollars. I think it's like twenty seven ninety nine now. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, it's kinda of pricey. I'm not sure why. It was like one of the first releases Shout Factory put out, so it's it's not like it's a new movie. Um, it's not not even out of print. You can yeah. find the movie pretty easily, but I know. I'll just I'll I'll lend it to you so you can just watch it, I don't know. <clears throat> um because it's definitely something that I want to cover early next year because um, I'm a real big fan of that movie I think I just got into the film this year and I'm talking about like I've been a fan all my life no I just got into it this year like I said it was a blind buy and I watched it four times so yeah I mean that, I'm in, that, that should tell you how much of a fan I am already yeah I'm intrigued by it it's just I'm not a buyer for too many movies that I think it was like 27 or 28 bucks there's very few yeah. movies I spend yeah. that much money on well then, I should advise you against getting in the 4K because I'm pretty much used. To, I'm used to paying those prices, <laughs> unfortunately, for a lot of films. Um, anyway, so let's see. Okay, talked about Paré. So Thor encounters Ted in the woods that night. Full werewolf form. So the transformations already happened. This is our first glimpse of the werewolf cuffed at a tree, trying to get out of there. Thor barks at the wolf until he hears Janet calling for him and he tries getting her attention, but she just wants to go back home and sleep. Should we talk about the werewolf now or wait till the finale? Uh, say finale. Alright, cool. So the next morning, Brett's playing with Thor. Thor goes up to Ted's trailer and marks his territory outside the door. He just goes up, sniffs around. Takes a piss outside of his door. <laughs> again, again with the, the, the canine references. I love it. So inside, Janet watches the news report about a 50, about 50 dead hikers being found. And a curfew is now in effect in the meantime. So Ted comes outside of the trailer and Janet comes out of the, t- out of the, out of the house to question him why he never mentioned the curfew. And he said that he was going to tell her. But at this point, Thor is seen growling at Ted. And Ted says, this is like my favorite line in the movie. In good time, old boy. In good time. In good time, old boy. In good time. So, you know, Thor is suspicious as a motherfucker. Thor knows what's up. Oh, yeah. He's no idiot. Um, at this point of the film... We really haven't seen too much of of Brett. You know, he's just around, you know. He comes into the story a little bit later. Uh, Janet, she's just your typical big sis, you know. Her and Ted. Um, you know, it's something else I wanted to talk about. Now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't even have this in my notes. But uh, I, I wanted to make a reference of at least, you know, the relationship between Janet and Ted. Um, so my thoughts on... Mario Hemingway's performance aside, 
I, I at least feel like J- Janet and Ted are like a genuine, you know, brother and sister. I, I, I feel like they're, they're genuinely related, you know, like they're actual brother and sister. Like I get that brother sister vibe from these two. Um, so, you know, Michael Paré and Meryl Hemingway, Meryl Hemingway at least have that, you know, chemistry. Um, like I said, her acting aside, my thoughts on that is, has nothing to do with this statement. So it's just one of the things I like about this movie. It's, there's a lot of things I like about this movie, but that, that brother-sister relationship between these two, it's key. Because if you don't if you don't feel this relationship, because let's just face it, there's like four people this entire movie. So these are pretty much, you know, the only characters we've got. And if I'm not buying the fact that they're a legit family, then this movie's lost me. So I don't know about you. That's how I feel. Yeah, I um, buy it. Yeah. So uh, and more of the whole family inside. Brett's watching a werewolf movie and Ted comes in and laughs at it and uh, mocks the full moon transformation. He's like, why the full moon? Why not a half a moon? Shit like that. And uh, he says he's been acquainted with a few werewolves in his time. Trying to make a light, you know, light of the situation with his nephew. Because there's like this weird, there's like this, this awkward tension between Ted and and, uh, and uh, Brett. That I feel is happening. But the uh, the lore that Brett argues, that everyone knows about as he puts it such as details about the Silver Bullets and, and Wolfsbane, comes from the Wolfman from 1940, 1941, which uh, Kurt Sadamax totally just made up on a whim. So it's kind of like arguing facts that were made up to begin with. So Janet and Ted bring up Thor going wild the night before and with the deaths happening, which Janet blames on a, a bear or a wolf. They end up arguing because Ted wants Brett to stay out of the woods and is acting all borderline paranoid in general as the scene ends. Um, Thor goes up to Ted's trailer around sunset and just waits at the door like a good boy. Sun's starting to set. Ted walks outside with his cuffs acting like he's going for a jog like he does every night. And the two have a moment together. Ted goes back inside thinking Thor will go away but Thor just calmly continues to play guard. And Ted comes back outside with the cuffs as Thor begins to growl. And he won't leave Ted's side, so Ted calls for Janet to get him, which she does as he begins his journey into the woods. So, yeah, um, we we keep on seeing Ted go out every night. That's his thing. Take the handcuffs, and he's out there with the same jogger uniform. Um, I, I guess those sweats that, he's wear- that he wears are, like, easy to come off before he turns into a werewolf. Because he's got the same damn pair every night. It's like the same getup. He's got the navy blue sw- uh, hoodie and, and the the silver sweatpants. <laughs> but you never you never see him like with something else at, uh, when he goes out every night. Because every time we see him, it's almost like they film the same shot. They, they just had Michael Paré like go in his trailer and walk out like five different times, and they'll be like, "All right, we're gonna film this time. We're gonna put it into this scene. All right, come out again. All right, we're gonna put this in this scene." You know, because he's wearing the same get-up every single time. It's the only fucking clothes he wears at night. Yeah, maybe I guess he... sweats are like comfort for werewolves transformations. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be like the Incredible Hulk. He's got to wear uh, stretchy pants pretty much, but also... Not elastic. Yeah, maybe he's like Superman. He just has like a fucking row of uh, these uh, jogging uniforms <laughs> in his fucking yeah. trailer. 
he's got his whole like drawer is just nothing but the same sweats and like hoodies. That's it. Same same get ups. Um so yeah, uh Thor. Okay, uh, uh okay, 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 this is what happens next. So um when he goes out into the woods, he turns. Again, we don't see it, but he's uh pretty much full werewolf form now. And him and Thor get into a fight in the backyard. turn on and light up the whole entire place. Thor is injured, but he's alive and well. Janet brings him to the house. <laughs> he's not backing I down. He don't around. fuck around. Because this werewolf is big. And, you know, we see it. And then, like, you know, the lights, the, the security lights come on, light the entire backyard up. And we just see the werewolf just go back into the woods. Like, whoop, 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 back into the woods. Um, so Janet goes to Ted's trailer and goes inside when he doesn't answer and this is when she finds a book about werewolves including some gruesome pictures of Marjorie's body some of Ted's victims attached to it she also finds a journal in which Ted details his turmoil um, with not finding a cure for his quote unquote disease and his hopes of finding peace near his family Ted means well Ted just got dealt the shit end of the stick when uh he was down in the, uh, yeah, the Amazon with his ex. <laughs> I guess we can call. Her, I guess we can call Marjorie the ex-girlfriend now, since she's yeah. no longer in the equation. Um, well, this brings up something yeah. though. Um, sure, go for this it. This brings up an issue I have with the movie. It's like I know he's there because quote unquote love might help him with the werewolf thing, but it's like if you really cared about his family, you wouldn't put like you wouldn't put your family near yourself. If you're turning into a werewolf, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of flimsy. The whole reason he would actually like want to be this close to his sister. And, uh, is you that know, how you son. interpret it? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I don't know. Okay. It's just like, I understand what he's saying. Like he's tried everything and, you know, love now is right. his next shot. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a flimsy excuse pretty much to have him, uh, moving. In. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. Um, that's different. Um, honestly, I'm not gonna see. I see your point completely. It's just something I've never thought about myself. Um, the whole it, the whole topic of love bringing him there. Um, I don't know. I, I just because I just think I, Ted's a good person. I feel he was guilted in the coming. I don't think he would have came. If his area on the lake hadn't turned into a complete crime scene, to be honest <laughs> with you, so I yeah. think that's another thing that drove him there. Um, you know, we we find out a lot about Ted, and you know, he's definitely a good person. That's one thing I know about Ted first and foremost. 
because he's caring about his family. I mean, the man goes out every single night with maximum strength handcuffs just so he doesn't hurt his family. You know, it's just the one time we, the only times that we see him, you know, when he's not attested at trades, when something's distracted him and he's not, he can't make it there in a time, in a timely manner, you know, because it's always a race too. And he has to do it, you know, incognito. So it's hard to be Ted. At some point, something's got to give, you know, he can't keep doing that on a whim because at some point they're going to find out, you know, it's, it's just, it's the inevitable. So she knows shit's up. She sees everything. So she knows what's going on. And uh, at this point, remember that shady con artist from the beginning who just randomly appeared? Yeah. Well, there's a reason for that. So we can set up this scene right here <laughs> where he comes back. And he comes back with a fucking meat cleaver, okay? Intending on killing the dog. This is real shit here. This man actually comes back with a meat cleaver. And he's intending on killing the dog. Dog's not in the doghouse. Instead, he finds Ted... Who is not actually Ted. Um, yeah, he's got a fucking meat cleaver. Um, instead, he finds Ted, but not regular Ted. Werewolf Ted. Who just gives him a massive slash to the jugular. Oh, yeah. And then knocks his corpse back into the woods. Just kicks it into the woods. Or no, he swipes it into the woods. But yeah, that first, that first slash, dude. Like, he just fucking destroys his neck. Oh, yeah. It, it, like fucking obliterates it. It takes out his neck. Like, it slashes off some of his fingers and shit. Like, it, it just his takes everything off. Damn, like, yeah, dude. It's like three, like, massive slashes across, like, that area. Including his neck, his, his lower head, and his chest. It's just crazy. Because he does it, like, he, like, spins when he gets slashed. And then, all of a sudden, he just gets poof, knocked into the woods. So, um, the sheriff comes next day and questions Janet about Thor and informs her of the salesman being attacked by a wild animal. Um, his mutilated, his mutilated body was found near her property and she asked if it could have been a person committing these murders, but the sheriff dismisses it and says, um, you gotta send Thor to the pound. Where have you been? This is the man who approached your place last month. Yeah, it is. He's dead. His name is Jerry Mills. We found him on the road a couple hundred yards from your house. He bore the marks of an animal attack been torn open by a big animal like a wolf or... Or a dog, is that it? Yes, ma'am. I do recall you told me the last time that Thor almost took a bite out of Mills. Now, maybe last night when Mills came back, Thor went at him again. Thor got in a fight last night. Something or... Someone got cuts all over him. I see. You 
you know about these slangs up in the Timberline area? The... Those hikers that were killed? Yes, Jenna. But that wouldn't be the same animal that killed Mills. It would have had to travel 200 miles from Timberline to get here. That's not what I mean. My question is, is, is it possible that they were committed by a human being? No chance at all, Jenna. They were done by a big animal. No man could tear a person apart the way the beast that butchered those people did. The same with Mills last night. Wolves are the probable culprits. Very, very big wolves, but not a man. Not humanly possible. Why'd you ask? Yeah, I reckon that's all for now, Janet. I'll be in touch. So the sheriff's dumb enough to actually think poor Thor is committing this shit. So, okay. Clearly, he didn't really pay too much attention to the 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 the, the, the gashes on this fucking guy because yeah. there's no way Thor could have done this. No way in hell. Yeah. So I'm already writing this scene off right away. But we got to get to the finale, so this is what we got to do in order to do so. We got to have Thor taken so okay we do that um Thor's outside the trail uh Thor's outside of Ted's trailer again and Ted comes out with a smile Janet comes up questioning where he was the night before and nothing Ted's just focused on Thor and then Ted winks at Thor and that's when Thor snaps and attacks <laughs> fucks his arm up yeah, fucks like, his arm motherfucker. up oh yeah I and it's pretty bad to the point that Janet has to use her actual physical strength to pull Thor into the washroom and lock him in there. Yeah. So Thor's not messing around. I just like to imagine right there, like when uh, you know, he winks, Ted winks at him, Thor's just like got the Joe right. Pesci voice, like, you motherfucker. Like I just I just like <laughs> yeah, to imagine right. that. Oh, you mother <laughs> Oh, that's great. So the pound comes and they uh Take Thor away. This scene's so fucking sad. Janet holds Brett back. Ted appears at the door and waves Thor goodbye and smiles. But yeah, this is a hard scene to watch. I'm a dog lover. Me too, yeah. And it's it sucks. Um, the animal trainers were actually the uh, the uh, the film's control officers who arrived to uh, secure animal, the the. The, 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 what I'm trying to say is the, these two guys who play the, uh, the, the the fucking pound guys are the actual animal trainers from the from the set, so they could you know were able to accomplish this scene, you know, pretty low key and professionally, Makes of course. Sense. So yeah, Ted goes back around to uh, the backyard and takes a piss on Thor's doghouse. <laughs> It's one of my I favorite. did laugh at this scene. It's one of my favorite things. It's just like the two animals, because like you saw Thor pee there before, marking his territory, right. and now this guy's going back there marking it just with the fucking smirk on his face. It's just hilarious. It's it's just a, it's a back and forth film between this man and this dog, and at this point he's got you know the, the comeuppance, and what's he do to celebrate? Fucking pisses on his house. I love it. Uh, Michael Parry is great in this movie. So, it's dinner time. 
the most awkward, quiet fucking dinner ever. And, uh, yeah, Janet wants Ted to get his arm looked at, but he says it's only a flesh wound and that he can administer his own tetanus shots. And after Janet excuses herself, we see Ted apologizing to Brett, but Brett's not having any of this shit. He's not buying into any of it. Ted demands Brett to come here and then tells Brett that there will be other animals in his life. This is when Janet tells him it's time for bed. And after Brett leaves the room, she asks where Marjorie is. She's like, "You, if I asked you a question, you promised you wouldn't lie. And he's like, yeah, of course. I can. Where's Marjorie? And he's just like, Seattle. Without even hesitating, he just goes, Seattle. Ted? Yes, Janet? If I ask you a question, will you tell me the truth? Of course. Where's Marjorie? Seattle. His entire attitude and demeanor at this point has just changed. Ted has pretty much joined the dark side. Um, the, the curse of the werewolf has consumed him for, for the most part. And, um... <laughs> I have here in my notes. Am I the only one who can't keep his eyes off of uh, Mason Gamble's cowlick? <laughs> yeah, I think he Dude, had it's Dennis something. The Dennis the Menace is the first time I noticed it, of course, because it's obvious as shit in that film. But even here, it's like, dude, every time I see Mason Gamble on the screen, I can't keep my eyes off that fucking cowlick. It's impossible. Um. <laughs> And this is where we get the shot of the house at night with a massive full moon inserted into the sky. It's like ridiculous. It's like this fucking just shot of the house and then this obvious fake full moon in the top left hand corner. It's like, oh, how obvious. Uh, little Brett sneaks out. Little operation. Get Thor back. And he's making sure he's got his bag of stuff he needs for his little excursion. Takes off on his little huffy. So this is when we see uh, Ted heading out for his nighttime jog. But we also see Janet loading up her gun and heading out back towards the woods. Uh, single mother living in the, in the middle of the Pacific Northwest woods. Safety first, I guess. <laughs> so meanwhile, Brett's uh, setting off motion lights all over the place, the pound. And he's like... <laughs> Oh shit! That's what we hear him say after the lights go off. Um, <laughs> and then he just runs in after Thor. Meanwhile, Janet finds Ted before he's able to chain himself to the tree. And she wants him to finally come clean. And he does. Telling her how Thor was just trying to protect her this entire time before we get one of the ugliest dated werewolf transformation scenes ever fucking hell company that's what I came here to get away from sis Janet is it you yeah Ted what the hell's going on Playing Nancy Drew, are we, sis? Well, you caught me at a rather 
awkward moment. I was just about to restrain myself. But now that you're already here, that might be somewhat pointless. You're gonna come clean with me right now. Family love, Janet. I thought he could save me. I was wrong. But hey, we all make mistakes. You sent the dog to the pound, Janet. I warned you. I told you I shouldn't be here, but you wouldn't let me go. You wanted to play big sister. You had to be right. You always have to be right, Janet, but this time you're wrong. You should have listened to the dog, Janet. He was trying to protect you. I was going to use these on myself. Can you believe that? <laughs> they, they were supposed to keep people from finding out about my private affair. My mistress. Oh, my God. <laughs> but you, you already know, don't you, sis? <laughs> You know, the handcuffs won't keep my little secret a secret anymore. Come back here, you stupid bitch. This is heavily talked about on the retro on that Scream Factory disc. It was basically a matter of time and money. CGI was pretty much was pretty new at the time and they opted to experiment with it. And that's okay. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes in life, okay? Only this one's pretty permanent unless you're George fucking Lucas. Eric Red was able to alter it a little bit for the director's cut that you watched, Corey. Lucky you. And he tried to make it as best as he could. So I'm not really I can't really remember what he did to it for the director's cut. How did a transformation scene look to you? Because for the rated, for the R-rated original theatrical home video version, whatever you want to call it, it's god awful. Yeah, it's it's okay. Like I remember, my first thought was, okay, this looks pretty cheap. Like it it it's not anywhere near like the best. Like you're gonna see in The Howling or American Werewolf in yeah, London. Yeah, Hugh got Rick Baker. Yeah, it, it's nothing like that because it's not practical and you can tell they had to rush through it. But it's also not as bad as it could be for like a mid-90s low-budget horror movie. I would say for the budget of this movie and my expectations, it was okay. I Like it didn't stand out to me as like, oh, this is the worst ever. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's pretty bad. Like if this movie was higher budgeted or higher profile, I'd be like, yeah, that's not that great. But for what the movie was, I, 
I think it looks okay, and I I think even today it still looks at least somewhat decent because you can tell they obviously use the CG and a little bit of practical. But uh, you know, it, it's definitely the worst effect in the whole film because everything else works really well. So mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely the blemish. Like if you're going to talk about this movie and its special effects, it's definitely the blemish on the film where you're like yeah that wasn't the greatest but you know i get it like they didn't have time or money to do the big transformation you know i'm sure they probably could have did you know i'm sure it could have been a lot better if they had the aforementioned time or money but it is what it is you know so i don't think it was that bad like you know giving it a grade like it's like a c you know well, again, keep in mind, you watched an altered version of it because he was able to... I, I, again, I'm not sure what he did differently because I've never been able to compare the two because I honestly, up until doing my research this past week, didn't actually know there was a difference in the transformation scenes. I thought they both had the same ugly CG look because at first when you see him talking to her, because he's talking to her and he's fine... But he's kind of all like sweaty a little bit, I guess. And then when it, it cuts to her, and then it cuts back to him, and he's got some makeup, and like his hair suddenly grew out a little bit, and he's got kind of a unibrow going on, and he's, he's definitely got contacts in his eyes at this point. Oh yeah. And then and then the camera pulls back, and you get a full body shot at him. And just his arms, like werewolf fur and shit, just suddenly just appears out of out of thin air on his body as he's standing up. And then you get the horrible CG transformation of his head to the wolf. And it's the it's one of them early like tech. It's like one of them early CG morphin things that you saw a lot of in the nineties. Like, we're going to talk about this again in the next episode, Sleepwalkers, because there's, like, a big morphin shot in that, too. In fact, that was actually the second ever project that ever had the morphin effect, because the first was Michael Jackson's black and white video. Fun fact. So this was still a work in progress at the time. So then, so yeah, you got the shot, the seed, the horrible transformation shot of whatever that is to his werewolf form and it's just an ugly CG mess. The only thing that's practical is that first shot when he's talking to her before he turns full werewolf. He's got like some makeup on him, but not too much, you know? And that's how it is in the in the, in the uh, theatrical version. So, but it sucks. It's, it's definitely, I know Steve Johnson wasn't his fault. They opted to go computer generated. That's not his forte. He's a practical guy. I respect that. Anyway, back to the film. Brett, he's able to escape the pound at this point with Thorn in, in hand. And Wolfman Ted chases Janet back to the house. And he's able to break in while she's still downstairs. And she like encounters him before she's able to run up the steps because he like swipes. They like. He swings at her and she ducks and goes up the steps and he chases her up. Um, yeah. So, I had a new, I don't know why I didn't have it for the last scene, but I put it for this scene for some reason. 
but it said, In creating the werewolf, Eric Red's mandate was to design the ultimate werewolf. Yikes. So he chose Steve Johnson's XFX company to achieve that. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. This is why. I thought they were talking about the transformation. We're, done. We're, we're past the transformation now. Now we're back to the actual werewolf itself. The ultimate werewolf. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the XFX company to from Steve Johnson to achieve that because their animatronic effects were impressive and he trusted that they could deliver a werewolf that could be seen in close-up and in bright light in that final shot. So, let's talk about this werewolf design because for my money, of all the werewolf films we're going to talk about this month, this is probably going to be a hot take, but this is the scariest design. I, I find... This design from Steve Johnson to be the scariest werewolf design, and that's we're going to be talking about, you know, Rick Baker's werewolf effects in both Werewolf in London, as well as The Howling, and then we're also going to be talking about Silver Bullet, but that's a little bit different. It's probably my least favorite design of all the four films we're talking about this month. But uh, yeah, I I mean it too. I, 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 props to Steve Johnson's design, his team for this this werewolf for uh, Eric Red's Dark or Bad Moon because it's 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 fucking frightening looking in that yeah. face. The, the, the those large yellow eyes and the piercing fucking snout that he has. Like I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is about this werewolf design. But this werewolf design fucking scares me a little bit. Yeah, I like I like it a lot too. I I like the fact that it's very uh, wolf like, and yes. obviously it's it's mainly just wolf like where, but the wolf stands up and walks like a human. That's really all it is, and I like that. I don't like um, the werewolves that look too human, or the werewolves that look kind of like dogs. More, like they walk around and they kind of look almost like dogs more than anything. Else. Like in London, like the werewolf in London, and you see it running around on all four legs in the yeah. London scene. Yeah, to me, a werewolf should be walking like a human, but mainly look like a wolf. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the design. Uh, the animatronic is just really impressive. It just looks yeah, awesome. Like all the close-ups hold up. Like that's easily where a lot of movies can fall apart like if it's a shitty makeup or if the animatronic or the puppet or whatever they're using or cg looks like crap but yeah the animatronic i mean just looks real it looks like that thing's alive and fucking snarling at me and uh just also the way they cut it together is pretty good too because obviously you know the animatronic you're not gonna have that thing doing uh anything crazy physically so they cut it together well with like the man in the suit and everything like that so uh yeah it all looks good and i'm a huge fan of the design i don't know if it's my favorite uh to be honest i haven't really thought about that but it's it's definitely up there i think it's a really well done design really well executed uh for the movie and scary like i said before and just powerful you just you feel scared of this thing and you feel powerful like it's gonna fucking brush you right away oh hell yeah absolutely and this is about the time that Brett makes it home with Thor. And time for an all-out doll fight!
Dude, this scene is fucking nuts. Like, I can watch this scene, like this five-minute sequence on loop all day long. Like, so much blood coming off these two canines <laughs> with Ted manhammering Thor, and then Brett runs in, and Ted grabs him by the throat, yanks him up, and the look on Mason Gamble's face just sums everything about this sequence up perfectly. It is priceless. Yeah. Like, this, this five-minute fight scene in Mason Gamble's bedroom is just fucking bonkers. It fucking destroyed everything. And I'm fucking everything. here for it. Yes. I mean, like, they crush, like, everything. Like, they crush through, like, the table. The fucking Thor gets thrown into a light fixture on the ceiling. Like, it's just like <laughs> this whole room just gets destroyed. It's just like a knockdown, dragout fight. And I like it, too, because it's in the full light. Like, you get to see everything. Yes! That, that's a huge yes. plus. No darkness. All light. You know, they could have been, they could have, you know cheapened out or copped out and had like the werewolf early on knock out the light bulbs or something and shit like that nope Eric Red opted to keep it on full light display like it's awesome it's it it makes not that the film is long anyway that like there's a lot of build up for this scene but like this payoff it this is definitely it, this pays off in, in spades this this end scene here yeah Absolutely. Uh, that's great. And then it ends with Janet screaming for Ted to get the fuck off her son. Get the fuck off my son! And then proceeds to unload every round of her gun into him until it just clicks. Eric resorted to psychological tricks during the filming of this bedroom scene. Uh, he claims that he forced her to do take after take. The old the old Kubrick angle. Take after take. <laughs> like like he, she's Shelly Duvall or something. He yelled at her to play it bigger until she was absolutely exhausted. And she hated his guts. Getting so angry. Personally, that tears and rage finally came out. And... He claims that that's what they were able to get on camera. I don't know. The whole get the fuck off of my son feels a little forced, but, you know, I, I get what he's saying. He's just doing the whole Kubrick thing with Shelley Duvall all, all, all over again. Although I doubt that he had the, the budget or the time or even the film to do like 140 takes or whatever the hell he did with uh, Shelley Duvall in that scene. But I get it. Um... Yeah, Ted's just standing in front of the window. And this is when Thor looks up and gives Ted the final blow as he leaps out at him. And the two <laughs> go out the window, down to the ground. You can hear the sound of a heartbeat getting slow and it's faint, getting faint and faint and slow and slow as Ted Wolf gets up and heads into the woods. And he's fucked up. Um, like, the werewolf is fucked. Yeah. Like, he's, like, walking, but he's not moving fast. Like, and you just, like, he's all tore up. Like, you can tell and, uh, between the gunshots and Thor ripping at him, he's 
He's fucking hurt. Yeah, he's 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 done, son. And that fucking like I was saying, the heartbeat, you know, it, it's it's really effective here, cause like it just gets slower and slower as he like goes into the woods. Like it's his heartbeat that we're hearing, and um, yeah, Thor follows the scent, and then we get this little mini montage of Thor like on this journey after Ted, even though it lasts like thirty seconds, but still. The way it's like edited, it's like this big journey he goes on to find Ted. And then eventually he finds him back in his human form, all bloody and clawed to shit. And defeated, he just says, do it. Thor loops at Ted, kills him off screen. Kinda like uh, the fact Thor follows him and waits till he turns into human. I I I attribute that to like Thor kind of knew what was going on, even though he's a dog. He's like, I yeah. know this motherfucker's gonna turn back soon, and he's like, I'll be waiting for your ass. You ain't gonna be so yeah, tough once you're right, a human right, again. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like a I don't know, like a reverse werewolf effect or something like that. Like you know, because you got Ted, like now he's going back to human form. But, like, Thor is still, like, he don't give a fuck. He's just going to kill him one way or another because he knows better. Like, he knows if he don't put an end to this, what's going to happen, you know, the, the next night or whatever. He's He's been there for it all. He's seen the entire scenario since Ted's come, you know, moved in with his silver board of a trailer. Yeah. He's like, you shouldn't have pissed on my house. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is from my house. So back at home, Janet tells Thor that he's a good dog and that he saved them as the film gives us one final jump scare with the monster version of Thor, like, appearing, like, rah! And then she wakes up in the chair and next to Brat, Thor's around. And, yeah, it ends happily with the Harrison family together for once. As the uh, film comes to an end, Gang, that is Bad Moon from Eric Red, 1996. I'm glad we covered this movie. I really, really am. Yeah, definitely right. uh, uh, un underrated gem. Like I, you know, like I said uh, at the beginning of the episode, I had never seen it, never heard of it, and yeah, definitely surprised me. It's worth checking out for sure. All right, well, let's move on to box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit two hundred and fifty thousand American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, so the film came out 
November 1st, wah, wah, wah. 1996 from Warner Brothers. It opened up across 825 screens, grossing $807,081 first week, or opening weekend, 15th place. Uh, second weekend, it grossed $112,397, coming in in 16th place at the drop of 81.5%. Total gross $1.1 million against a budget of $7 million. Look, no marketing and dumping this into the theaters after Halloween didn't do the film any favors. It was a box <laughs> office failure, but at least it's seen a resurgence in popularity over the last decade. Like I've been saying with that, especially with that Scream Factory disc, um, which has that director's cut that I was telling you about and the nice retrospective documentary on the film with the cast from the film being interviewed for the doc, including Mason Gamble. They got him back for the documentary. It's pretty cool seeing him. Yes, he still has the cowlick. Um, but yeah, it, you know, any film that comes out, or any, I'm sorry, we wrote that. Any horror film that gets dumped in November, come on. Like, I had this argument a few years ago with Dr. Sleep. Like, what the fuck was Warner Brothers thinking putting that out a week after Halloween? The like, hell so knows. much. You know, and they're doing the same thing here. Well, they did the same thing here 25 years ago or so. I, I, I don't understand it. It's, it's mind numbing. Like, you got a horror movie, your premier fucking time to release it, and you wait until after? That's like if we ever get Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat 2 and Warner Brothers puts it out like November, like Thanksgiving weekend instead of Halloween. <laughs> Makes no fucking sense. So yeah. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the Critics' Corner to uh, see what they all have to say about the movie. Good. It's got a 30% Rotten Tomatoes score based off of 10 reviews. Um, I mean, there's not even a consensus. Uh, the film received basically negative yeah, basically negative reviews from everyone upon its release. Although, like I said, it's had a pretty big following since. Uh, let's see here. Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle said, well, he was... Highly, highly critical of the film panning the film's script poor special effects and unconvincing monster costume you're so full of shit we were just talking about the monster, monster costume it works dude did we see the same movie same cut at least um, Joe Layden from Variety felt that the film was too silly to be suspenseful yet not quite awful enough or intentional fun, intentionally funny enough to qualify as camp he also criticized Hemingway's performance as being unconvincing. Well, I can't defend her on that one. And finally, Mark Savlov from the Austin Chronicle gave the film a one and a half star rating out of five, highlighting the film's direction, unconvincing special effects and monster costume, and unbelievable characters. So, when I talk about this having like a resurgence as of late, it's not from anybody of importance. It's basically from the fans, 
people like me, to you, Peggy Sue, like the people that matter, um, you know, horror fans alike have just been given this film a, a, a good name, a deserving name, I should I should say, or I should add. So, you know, it's 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 moments like these where I don't even know why we take a trip to the Crooks Corner for horror movies because we know it's going to be the same bag of bullshit, but we do, and we'll continue yeah. to. I One thing, it's like it annoys me with these critics sometimes. Like, are these effects, like, the best effects ever? No, but, like, you're watching this movie. Like They're pretty fucking good in this movie, though. No, they, are, they really are. They are really good, but for the movie, like, when I watch a movie, like, I realize what I'm watching. Okay, I'm watching this movie. It's a B- movie creature feature like i'm not expecting fucking state-of-the-art effects i'm not expecting fucking shakespeare acting like i'm not expecting a complicated plot where we learn a ton about the characters and see them grow like i'm expecting to see the fucking werewolf kill some people and a dog bite the werewolf did the movie deliver that yes like so it's a good movie like i don't understand (laughs) some of the um critics there like like the effects are really good. Like even for a bigger budget movie, I think the effects are good. Like, so I don't know why any, like why that dude was saying that. Like, yeah, if you compare them to like maybe the top top, yeah, they're not like as good as that, but yeah, I don't get that whole thing. And yeah, sure. The acting's not great, but I'm not coming here to see like great acting. Like if I want to do that, I'll fucking watch the Oscar hopefuls that are getting released around this time. Cause this fucking movie came out at a weird time, you know? But True. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you got to know what you're going into. I really don't understand panning a movie when it's exactly what it wants to be and it knows what it's doing, you know? Because it's a horror movie and they figured, you know, it's it's easy to rip apart. But I, I don't know. If it makes you feel better, sure. If, if you want to get, you know, your witty comments in your review for... Eric Red's Blood Moon or Bad Moon. I keep calling it Blood Moon. <laughs> Bad Moon, then, you know, more power to you. I, I doubt you're going to get many brownie points with all the other critics, you know, but whatever. You do you. So, that being said, we can move on to uh, yeah, P's and C's, pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Alright, pros. Steve Johnson, number one. That werewolf design is legit. Uh, The film itself is short and sweet. A real in-and-out type of creature feature. Um, I buy into the Harrisons being a genuine family who sincerely care about one another which I mentioned during the breakdown. And finally, it's always good to see Michael Paré and here he's front and center throughout. Even better. So, those are my pros. Pretty easy. How about you? Yeah, obviously my top pro is the special effects and the werewolf. I mean, it's just great. Like, I love that you get to see the ending in full view of the light and you just get to see the wolf kicking ass. Uh, I love the gore... Uh, I, you know, I can only speak to unrated, but I mean, it's awesome. Like just watching someone's head get crushed in and just how powerful, uh, the werewolf is. It's just pretty badass. So yeah, definitely got to talk about Steve Johnson and the effects. Like that's definitely what you're coming here to watch. 
And the movie definitely delivers on that. And you won't be disappointed if you're a horror hound and uh, that's what you want to see. My next pro is the animal training. I mean, uh, Thor, I know you said there's three main dogs they used. Uh, Just fantastic. I mean, you know, you watch some movies where you can plainly tell you're like, oh, that fucking dog is like looking right off screen at the trainer (laughs) or, you know, like that dog wouldn't act like that. But like, it's totally believable in this film. The dog acts like a normal dog. Um, It it just looks great. Like at no point am I watching it saying, oh, yeah, the trainer's right there doing something or, oh, the dog wouldn't do that. No, it acts you know, the way they portrayed Thor in this film is just like a normal house dog protecting his family. And it just looks great. Like it, everything looks fantastic nowadays. You know, it would be mixed with CG and all this other BS. So I'm just glad that, uh, you know, it just worked out so well. The animal training is definitely top notch. So that's my second pro. And then uh, my last pro is kind of like Yours as well. Uh, Michael Paré is definitely, as far as the human actors, the highlight. Uh, I just love his melodramaticness in the whole movie. He's definitely a step above everybody else, and he he's really good in this movie. Like no no bullshit. He's I think he's fucking good. Yeah, in this movie. Yeah, he's playing that uh, like old school monster, um, you know, tormented monster villain very well. You know, like it's definitely yeah. like a callback to like the uh universal type monsters or hammer films or something like that you know and i think he's doing it very well so yeah michael parr i have to give him a shout out here on the pros so that's my last pro all right cons um outside of that god-awful transformation scene the opening sex scene has always felt out of place and sleazy a little bit so i don't know it, it it it's a kind of reminder of the time because mid nineties I was like the rage a little bit here and there and there's especially the director video market you would always have like your random just kind of borderline porno sex scene um, which you get in this like literally not even before like beginning credits happen you, you get this like <laughs> basically you how at the moon. And a couple really going at it in this fucking tent. Kind of like, I don't know, they're going at it in ways that rival the couple from Jason Goes to Hell. So, that's that. Um, And the rated version heavily edits the gore. Like I talked about throughout the breakdown. Kind of envy you for watching it for this podcast, Uncut. Because, you know, I'm surprised we actually got the full con artist death scene. Because I definitely was not cut. Because like you, when he gets that slash, when he turns and hits the camera, and you see the full makeups, the makeup effects, like one full display, like it's definitely like a wide cut or a wide shot that kind of stays on it, lingers there for like five seconds or so before it knocks, gets knocked into the woods. But that park ranger's death scene is heavily cut, like. You don't even see him make impact with like this with him squashing the helmet down like I talked talked about earlier. So that's that's a bummer. So the way to go is to definitely see this. Get the Scream Factory disc. It's the only way to watch it. Uncut. But you'll thank me. Excuse me, you'll thank me later. So those are my cons. Corey, how about you? Sorry, I was muted. That's okay. 
Yeah, my cons are very similar. Uh, I hate whenever a movie is edited. Uh, you know, it's like, come on, get over yourself. I, I know there's certain situations where, the, you know, things just need to be trimmed down. But come on, like, you're watching a werewolf movie. You're here to see the gore. Like, you already had, like, a softcore sex scene at the beginning. I don't think it's going to get much worse if a guy's head gets crushed in. You know, so um, anytime that a movie's edited like that is just a shame. And, you know, the fact that the streaming version right now is the edited version kind of sucks because that's probably going to be what most people see if they're going to see this movie is the streaming version. So, yeah. Yeah, I I should I should preface that I watched this uh, for this episode. Full disclosure, I watched the version on Peacock. Um. And I, I believe it's also on Prime and Shudder. Even the Shudder version, to my knowledge, is rated R. But yeah, the only way to get that uncut, that director's cut version, is, to my knowledge, Screen Factory. Because they actually had to go through some lengths to find that version. Because before, it was just rumored. So, Yeah. Uh, my next con is just the plot. There's a few inconsistencies. Like I mentioned before, uh, you know, like, you know, would would somebody with that's a werewolf really want to put their family at risk? I know, you know, he's locking himself up and really just trying to be safe. But would Ted really do that? I know he's goaded into it. and I know there's a crime scene. Uh, you know, it, it's a minor thing, but I think the plot could have been maybe worked over a little bit more like the flopsy the the con artist guy it was just kind of odd seeing him come back with a cleaver like to me that was kind of weird like just obviously an excuse to get him killed you know i'm not gonna rag on it too hard because like i said that's not why i'm watching this movie for its detailed intricate plot but you know there's a few times where it's like a head scratcher of just you know wondering why exactly that's happening and then my last con it, it sucks to put it on there, but it definitely stood out. And that's uh, Mariel Hemingway's uh, acting in the film. It's not the worst. It's not god awful. It doesn't ruin the movie, but it's definitely not good. <laughs> it's when she's the weakest actor out of like the dog and uh, Mason Gamble, the kid. It's like it's not a good sign, um, you know, because it's a shame. I like her look like she almost looks like a discount Gina Davis to me. Like uh, that, that would be like the best way hmm. I could put it. Like, interesting. I don't know if you kind of get that feeling too, but that's kind of what she looks like just physically. No, I'm processing that. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like in certain aspects, I think she's good as like the sister, the big sister, like you said, I buy that a little bit more. Um, but as far as a lot of the other stuff, I'm like, eh, do I really buy her as a lawyer? Eh, not really. Wait. No, that's kind of I I do, I definitely don't buy her as a lawyer, and even that's not even really glossed over. Like, there's just the reference here and there. Like, the movie reminds you she's a lawyer when it's convenient. And it's like one or two scenes, and that's it. Other other than that, you forget that she you forget what she does. Period. You know, um, but yeah, she's just that pushy, you know, older sister type. She just keeps on pushing. She's like that nagging older sister that I don't have. Well, yeah, I do have, but you know, <laughs> that's how she, that's how she comes off. Uh, you know, with her and Michael Pare together on screen. But 
Yeah, anyway, uh, that's my last con. It's just her performance is definitely not the greatest. It, it, it's definitely like a soap opera or a B-movie in this case where, you know, you have some decent acting going on on the other side with Poiret. So maybe that's kind of what makes it stand out. Maybe if it was all bad acting, it wouldn't be quite as uh, obvious. But yeah, like I said, doesn't ruin the movie. It's not the worst. I'm by no means saying like she's a terrible actor. But it's definitely right. a weak spot for me. All right, well, let's do modern cancellations. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. I wonder what they did. All right, Core, who gets canceled by today's cancel culture? Um, I don't know. I didn't really think too much about this one. Um,. I'll go first if you want me to. I got one. Yeah, you go ahead. See, everyone hates the con artist, right? Yeah. I mean, all the Harrisons wanted to be was a normal family. And Ted, poor Uncle Ted, was just trying to get some Amazon ass. But then one of those damn Napoleon Waterwolves has had other plans. Can't really hate Ted for carrying out that curse, right? So, yeah, Ted. <laughs> Ted would. Unfortunately, Ted would. Doesn't deserve to be, but he would. All right. So I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. So my answer is going to be the sheriff just uh, for impound or just putting uh, <laughs> Thor the dog in the pound. Like, uh, yeah, fuck that sheriff. Yeah. Like any anybody taking their dog away nowadays with social media, like there's going to be a backlash. And then, you know, that pound, it's like those dogs are locked up in their poor cages. So I feel like the pound's going to get canceled, too. So, yeah, the fucking sheriff, dumbass, for thinking <laughs> a dog is slashing people and uh, right. the pound. So I'm going to cancel them. Maybe we can cancel the boneheaded Pacific Northwest Police Department who just let Ted go underneath their fucking noses. Like, he's right there, guys. You don't even hold them for like questioning and shit. You just say, "Hey, all these hikers, all these dead hikers, seem to be piling up around your fucking clean trailer, your suspiciously clean trailer. What's up with that?" But no, carry on. You gotta go to your sisters. Nah, you know, it's it's, it's weird. It raises questions, but you're trying to leave here. But whatever, we'll allow it. <laughs> nah. Anyway, we'll move on at this point. Um. Let's do Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Uh, number one, I would have shown Steve Johnson a little more respect and allowed him and his team to follow through with the werewolf with the uh, practical werewolf transformation. Um, that's what I would change, honestly. I, I would show that man the respect he deserves and not done whatever the fuck they tried doing with the technology and shit for the transformation. No. You let Steve Johnson, the man who aided both the werewolf in London and howling transformation scenes, so he's got a little, you know, hands-on experience with, with the way this works. Someone who was on both those sets, you, you you would think that, you know, he would have the keys to his own kingdom. Like, he'd be able to just have free reign as to whatever he wanted to do with his own transformation scene. No. They're like, ah, ah, we're going to save some money. We're going to 
We're going to use computers. They're the way of the future. That's right. Computers. Windows 95. Nah. You fucking let me change one thing and I would have fucking fixed that shit. I would have let Steve Johnson do his thing. The entire film. That's all. How about you? Yeah, mine's the same way. The transformation is definitely the only part where the effects kind of are failed. Uh, I, you know, as watching the movie the fir- for the first time, I'm like, oh, cool, we're going to see the transformation. And, you know, I wasn't expecting anything like earth shattering. But right. I was like, oh, cool, get to see, uh, you know, how Johnson handles it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, they went that way. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's not, yeah. like I said, it's not. It wasn't even Johnson. I know, but I'm just saying the movie went that way. and uh, Right, right, right. You know, it's not the worst. Yeah, you know, don't let it discourage anybody from watching the movie. And even if you're nitpicking it, it's not that bad. It's just when you're, yeah, you're expecting. Yeah, don't let, don't let whatever I said stop you. Yeah, it, it's just when you're seeing all these awesome effects, you're just expecting a little bit more. Nothing, nothing just kind of average. So, yeah, that that's mine, too. I almost I know all werewolf movies pretty much have to have the transformation scene. But honestly, if they would have just cut it, it would have been fine. Like, yeah, I would have been like, why wasn't it in there? But, uh, you know, at least then I wouldn't be talking about how ho-hum it looks either. So, you know, I. You right. can kind of cut it out or just spend a little bit more time and just let him do his thing. Just let Johnson do his thing and get that transformation scene in there. Just get it right. I know he could get it right. Like for probably not that much more effort. You know? So that that's mine right. too. It has to be. All right. Well, then we can move on to finger licking good. Finger licking good. Favorite part of the movie. Are you kidding? the ending that better be yours too Corey. yeah mine's a sex scene that took me by surprise and i keep watching <laughs> that scene over and over again over and over <laughs> yeah it's definitely the end scene i mean that's what the whole movie's building to is uh watching thor the dog just fight this werewolf again and yeah right. it pays off like that you get to see the dog just jumping on the werewolf the werewolf just smacking the dog around the werewolf getting shot and attacked by the humans just destroying Crazy. the whole yeah they're just destroying the whole room it's uh, in, a, in a fucking kid's room in a fucking like however, however old mason is or uh or Brett, he's like 11 or 12 yeah <laughs> not a big it's not a big bedroom at all we're not talking about a fight in a master bedroom by any means no and you know, it, it just looks awesome. The fact that you get like the steady wide shots and plain view with light just shows how confident they were in the effects. And it just looks awesome and it pays off. Like you get everything you want in the end scene. So, yeah, that definitely has to be the highlight. Well, let's move on to one of our newer categories like this. Try that. You can go with this or you can go with that. You can either pair this up with um, anything, really. You, you you pair this up with the best of werewolf movies, whether it's Halloween or Werewolf in London, not Paris, or Silver Bullet. Um, this goes together with any other good werewolf movie because this is up there with some of the best. And, you know, I've always felt that the werewolf genre is like 
the lust. It's like the, the the underrated genre. Everyone's a fucking everyone loves vampires and zombies, but I've been scurrying for werewolves for like the last decade now. So need to get some good werewolf movies out there in the mix. So any werewolf movie will pair up with this one as long as it's a good one. So don't break out your American Werewolf in Paris DVDs. Ugh. Keep them hidden. You don't need that. That fucking movie. But yeah. yeah. There's, and there's other bad ones, but that's just famously the worst of, of the of the worst. So, but yeah, that's what I want you to wear, pair it up with, you know, any other good werewolf movie. Because we need more good werewolf movies in the world. <laughs> so watch them all together. No, that's all. That's my answer. I was planning on saying that the whole time anyway. So, all right, you're up, Core. So my first inclination was to bring up Underworld because that obviously it's vampires, but it has a lot of werewolves. But then I remembered I right. fucking hate the werewolf design in that movie. Like, that's what I was talking about. The lichens are horrible. Yeah, the lichens look like fucking shit dogs. Like, they're just terrible and I don't like it. So that my first thought was like right out of my head. And then my next one is another low budget werewolf movie, and that's Dog Soldiers. Uh, one that I've been a fan oh of. Oh my fucking god! How have we went through this episode, and I have not brought Dog Soldiers up once? I fucking love Dog so- Dog Soldiers. I really do. I'm, I'm a big fan of Dog Soldiers, man. Neil, uh, uh, Rob Marshall. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, man. I I didn't mean to cut you off abruptly. Go on. That's a good answer. Yeah. It, it's a good. It's a good double feature because it's another low budget uh, werewolf movie. And I like the whole concept of like the special forces team uh, dealing with the werewolf, Uh, you know, and I just think it pairs well with this. I mean, I remember Dog Soldiers because that came out uh, when we were both working at the video store. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I just rented it. And uh, I've been a fan ever since. Like, yeah, does it look low budget? Sure. But like, it's still entertaining and. Uh, like this film, it does a lot of things right uh, to really make it stand out. And it's just like, you know, if you're talking about an example of a low budget uh, werewolf movie, I mean, that one just pops right into my head. So, yeah, I think Dog Soldiers, uh, Bad Moon, you're looking at two underrated werewolf films from around the same era. I know Dog Soldiers is a little bit later, but, uh, you know, from around the same time. And they're both pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh. My apologies, Neil Marshall, not Rob Marshall. Um, the no werewolf. Um, Dog Soldiers came out. You're right, about twenty, 20 years ago, because that was a blockbuster, and I took home. I actually just kept that screener DVD that the company so uh, sent us, and that's how I had the film for the longest time. Was that DVD screener that I just ganked from the store? Because we always, you know, no one took home those screeners that sometimes the studios would send to us because we would just rent the pre-streets when we got them in. So for like a short time, we were getting just random studio screener DVDs and I just ended up taking them a lot of them and Dog Soldiers was one of them. Um, And that's what I watched for the longest time until uh, Scream Factory put out a Blu-ray about when the hell did that come out? I want to say like six, seven years ago. It was a yeah, terrible transfer. Like it was a terrible transfer, though. It's like oh, yeah, really it was bad. Hard. It's really bad to watch. But then last month, 
uh, they put out the 4K because um, I think it's I think they're called Second Sight, the company over in UK. They did the transfer, and um, they lent. You know, uh, for domestic release, they they let Screen Factory put out that transfer, and um, yeah, I can happily report that Dog Soldiers, after twenty years, finally looks like a fucking movie. <laughs> it doesn't look <laughs> like that. It, it's it's always had this cheap direct video look to it. Yeah, always has. Shot on now it, it, not anymore, man. They made that shit. They polished it right up, and it looks. Great, so that's the way to, to see it nowadays. Is uh, yeah, 4K. It's I, I can't rant about it enough. But the the just to you know wrap up this conversation on Dog Soldiers real quick. The film itself, I I have always felt was great with a strong cast. You got Liam Cunningham in it, Kevin McKidd in one of his earlier roles before he became the Doctor on uh, Grey's Anatomy. Um. But yeah, that's what I really took from this. All I've always this was the first film I saw Liam Cunningham, the uh, the Onion King from uh, Game of Thrones, Davos. Um, he's a real prick in the movie too. But I've I've always thought that the gore effects. Like, get this one guy, dude. You know, we got the, the the sergeant guy who gets like his his belly ripped open, his intestines falls out, and they like literally like just bandage his stomach up so that they don't fall out and he literally was like one of the last guys standing like he goes through the movie with just like his stomach wrapped up like that's how badass he is <laughs> but yeah Dog Soldiers is so fun it's a really fun movie to watch um alright well let's uh Let's see what we got next. Movie MVPs alright alright now you might think I'm a little biased but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Real quick and easy for me, Primo the dog. You know, I, I think I might have hinted toward this being my answer earlier in the episode, but uh, he's just so good in this movie, and he's the star. And, you know, I, he's just trained so well. And a lot of the stuff that happens, I know not all the scenes are Primo, but, you know, I've already stressed that Primo is the primary dog they used for the majority of the scenes. So, yeah, going to give it to the dog for a change. How about you, Cor? Uh, mine's the exact same way. It has to be Primo the dog. I mean, he was my favorite character. Uh, I was rooting the whole time for the dog. Uh, I was scared. The dog is going to die. And that's just down to the fact that I love animals and just how convincing it was. Uh, so, yeah, Primo for sure. I mean, like I said previously, I absolutely believed uh, Primo was a family dog protecting the family. Just looks so natural, so awesome. And just the way everything was handled. I like the POV shots. Would have liked, like you said before, would have liked the POV and the battle. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't have it all. But, uh, yeah, the... The dog is just so awesome. Like, I, I just love the fact that the dog is the fucking main character and you get to see the dog go toe to toe with the werewolf. I mean, that is just so awesome. Like, this it movie, is it's different. This movie would have been fine. Like, if it would have just like if the main character was really the mom or, uh, you know, the Mason uh, Campbell uh, character, like it would have been fine if they were like the real focus. But it 
it would have lost its charm. I love the dog. I was just like, how many movies where it's a fucking dog? <laughs> it's the main <laughs> character. So what am I ever going to put? Right. A dog is my MVP. But yeah, Primo, absolutely. Bias performance. Uh, he is just acting his ass off the whole movie. And I just love it. So yeah, Primo the dog. And the other dogs I give the shout out to. But definitely Primo yeah. the dog. All right. Well, before we wrap up, before we give our final effect treatments, uh, it's Halloween. So we got one more category. R.I.P. Rest in peace. All right. So this one. Because there's essentially like four brutal deaths in this movie. Five, actually. I mean, every death in this movie is brutal. Because, you know, it starts with Marjorie, and then the forest ranger gets his head squashed, or ate, pretty much, bitten, bitten into, we'll put it that way. You got the, the con artist. You've got Ted. I feel like I'm missing someone. Someone obvious. Mm. Is that it? Four? Okay, yeah, four. I think so. Okay, four. Shit. All right, well, still, they all die viciously. Um, I mean, I guess since we don't really see what happens to Ted, he's off screen, so we can eliminate him. Um, So I'm going to give... I'm going to give... Ooh, I'm going to give the Forest Ranger. I know it's the worst death you know, in the Raider version. But I know the uncut version of his death, it's like you get the gory, you see the wolf bite down into the head and kind of just squat. He's got that fucking hard hat too that he just kind of like bites into as well. And that squat, that helps squash his head like a melon. So, I yeah, I got to give it to the Forest Ranger. That, that head squash is pretty brutal. It's pretty epic on uh, every level possible. So, how about you, Core? What is your... uh? Favorite death? It's no contest. It's the Forest Ranger. I I rewound that like several times and watched it. I was just like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> like the first time Fucking I saw. Fucking gnarly. It. Yeah. Now, if it was a rated version, uh, which I haven't seen, I've only seen the unrated. I'm sure I would probably feel different. But yeah, if you're watching the unrated, it's the Forest Ranger is definitely where it's at. I mean, I'll give an honorable mention to uh, the beginning scene. I forget her name, but his girlfriend. Marjorie. Marjorie. That was pretty badass, too. Like, she literally just gets fucking torn up like that. It, it's brutal looking as well. But I she's just got love- like half a face, too. Like the makeup yeah. effects is crazy. Yeah, like it, that's really good, too. Like, honestly, I didn't think anything was going to top that as far as a death. I was like, oh, that's probably going to be my favorite. But then, yeah, the forest ranger comes along and just gets his fucking head (laughs) chomped down like a grape. So, yeah, I just I love that scene. It's just so awesome. Just shows the power of the werewolf and you just get to see the head crush. him. just like, oh, like it just makes me uh, shiver a little bit watching it. But it was awesome for sure. It's definitely worth it. All right. Well, then we can start the uh, final effect treatment Ow. on a scale of one Ow. on a scale ah. on a scale no. on a scale of one to ten <laughs> on a scale of one to ten give me the damn veggies what do you think why don't you give this one why don't you start with this one core 
Yeah, so my rating is three out of five. Uh, I think it's a solid rating for a solid movie. Uh, is it a perfect movie? Uh, no, like we mentioned before, like the the plot is a plot. Some of the acting is not the greatest. Uh, it's almost a little too short. I like films that don't overstay their welcome. Uh, I kind of wish this one had maybe just a little bit more, like maybe another death. Uh, just a little bit more runtime. It feels a little too short. But overall, it's a fun film. I mean, you you get what you come for. You get to see the dog bite the werewolf. You get to see all the awesome special effects. And yeah, I'm just glad we're spotlighting this movie and giving it a little bit of recognition that it deserves because it's definitely these movies around this time period, these B movies that just got dumped like it can be so bad. (laughs) So the fact that it came right, out right. this well, I give respect to. So, yeah, it's definitely one that, uh, you know, I'm glad I finally saw and that one I'll definitely be revisiting. It, it's definitely worth my time and your time as well. So I'm glad that uh, you finally turned me on to it and I got to watch it for the podcast because it's definitely a gem uh, just lost out there. I know, obviously, Screen Factory put it out, but I still feel like a lot of people have no idea about this movie. So uh, I'm just glad we're talking about it and maybe bringing a few more eyes to it. Cause it's just awesome. And yeah, again, I, I love Michael Parry. I just it's, like this movie alone is probably going to make me watch uh, streets of fire a lot quicker just cause I'm like, I want to see what he's doing in <laughs> that movie now too. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, just an enjoyable film. And I think if you're a dog lover, I think it just adds another layer. Like, you're just going to love it even more. My wife doesn't even like horror movies, but she was intrigued by this movie when I was telling her about it just because she's a big dog lover. And she's like, a dog fights the werewolf? And I'm like, yep. She's like, oh, yeah. oh all right. Um, just one thing I do want to call out. I didn't put it in my cons, but they almost made the werewolf too powerful because, like, I feel like watching the rest of the movie, watching the werewolf tear people apart, like, it would just tear the dog apart, too. Like, I, I kind of was like, would Thor really be hanging in there that much with the werewolf? Nah, but it, it's still pretty cool watching them fight. Like, you know, just right. try not to think about it, shut off your brain, and just have a good time. Because uh, that's I what mean, the movie's I mean, Thor gets fucked up, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but when he's slicing and literally just destroying guys in one slice, and then, but Thor's, you know, okay. Yeah, it, I gotcha. It's a little bit like, eh, you know, I gotcha, maybe, yeah. maybe they could have toned it back a little bit on some of the deaths, but then again, then you don't get the awesome deaths. So it's a catch 22, which is something <laughs> yeah. I kind of thought about, but it it's nothing to ruin. It certainly ruin. is. Yeah, it's nothing to ruin the film. It's just an awesome movie, and uh, yeah, the effects are just fucking wicked for what they had. So. Yeah, it's just great, and I'm glad I finally got turned on to it. Okay, I'm going to be very quick, brief, blunt, all that, with my final overall rating. It's a three and a half film, I'm sorry, it's a three and a half star movie that deserves to be a four and a half star movie, but because it's such a simple horror movie, I feel the need that it needs more to warrant a higher rating based on the fact that it's such a simple movie, as I just said. So yeah, three and a half stars, same rating as you, but it deserves to be more. Four and a half is what it deserves to be. But we're going to give it three and a half because we're fair people. And that's going to be it. This episode is sponsored by the city of Portland, Oregon. 
Because fuck Seattle. As always, this is not a real sponsorship, rather more of a faux sponsorship. It's a harmless comedy bit and isn't meant to be ever taken seriously. Relax, these are the jokes. Just kidding, <laughs> we love Seattle. And with a quickness, as quick as the 75-minute film itself, that's all for our Bad Moon Deep Dive, a film that surely gets that film effect seal of approval, one now and many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection or previous episodes on your podcast service of choice. Or head over to thefilmeffectpodcast.com and check it out from there. Please like, subscribe, and follow us, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, you know, all the major socials, all links in the episode notes. You can uh, reach out to us by email, thefilmeffectpodcast at gmail.com, or by direct messaging us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Reviews and ratings, they really help our podcast out so much, and we'd really be appreciative if you'd show some love and let us know how we're doing. So whatever kind of feedback you may have for us, we want to know. And coming up, Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod travels on with our breakdown of Stephen King's Sleepwalkers from director Mick Garris. Coy, where are you at on Sleepwalkers? <laughs> All right, I'll preface this by saying Sleepwalkers is not a good movie, but it is an entertaining movie. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot to watch in this film. Uh, so I'm assuming you watched that that disco laid on you? <laughs> yeah, I watched it all right. I mean, I had seen the movie before. <laughs> um, it had been a while since I had seen it. I remember just watching this <sighs> when it was on TV back in the day, and almost it almost aged in my brain like a fever dream. Like... I, it almost is like it, the movie can't be fucking crazy as crazy as I remember it being. And then I watch the disc. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's as crazy as I remember. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, if you want to see grown people get scared of cats, uh, this is your movie. So <laughs> it's just if you want to see people get stabbed by a corner of the cob, this is your movie. <laughs> like, it's just so ridiculous. Like, I don't know if it was intentional or not. I haven't finished my research for the movie yet, but it is not a good movie, but an entertaining movie. So I'm looking forward to talking about all the crazy shit in this movie. I fucking love this movie. I went back and revisited it earlier this year for the 30th anniversary, and I was just like, oh yeah, this is definitely a horathon contender. So yeah, looking forward to it. And that'll be the next episode. Um, but yeah, until then, um, that's going to be it for this episode. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod right here on the Film Effect Podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you real soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right, I got to go walk my dog now. Bye. Good one. Ha, 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 ha.